Hello. Good morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, I'm John. I'm a member of Wise-ish Council. Um, I'm here to sort of uh, uh, frame what we're doing today. This is the, the naughty and nice uh, uh, series that we're doing. And we're looking at Scripture and, and saying, look, Scripture presents real human beings interacting with a real world that's complicated, dealing with faith and dealing with fear. And, and uh, maybe it's not so black and white. Last week, we looked at um, the wise men and looked, we had Eric, Pastor Eric brought us the perspective of the wise men who are, should, in, in a sort of a simple definition of the, the story of God, should be outside the story. He's not a part of uh, Judaism. He's, uh, the wise men are not a part of Judaism. Uh, they maybe don't even understand fully the, the God most high, but they come anyway. They come called and understand. They recognize that something glorious has happened. And we also looked last week, uh, Rabbi Mark took the perspective of the Jewish leadership and looked a little bit at the confusion and the, and the conflict with faith and religion that happened when they're presented with the idea that maybe the king of the Jews is here and they didn't know about it and how to, how to respond to that. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking a little bit from the perspective of uh, Joseph and the perspective of Herod. Mark gets to play King Herod. Uh, good luck with that one. And then we've got the adopter, uh, Dan the adopter, playing uh, Joseph. I'm going to read the scripture that this is based off of. Matthew 12, 13 through 23. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to try to kill the child. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he learned that, he, that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, because the wise men had told him the star first appeared to them about two years earlier. Herod's brutal action fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah. A cry of anguish is heard in Ramah, weeping and mourning unrestrained. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and told him, Get up and take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph returned immediately to Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid. Then, in another dream, he was warned to go to Galilee. So they went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets concerning the Messiah. He will be called a Nazarene. If you would pray with me. God, we thank you that every time we return to Scripture, even to stories that we think we know, you teach us something new. We thank you that this is a, a book full of messy people like we are messy. We also thank you for the examples that you provide us. You show us glimpses of ourselves in the good and the bad characters, in the characters that we maybe have oversimplified. Uh, you will show us things that are glorifying to you, uh, in what we can do and how we can be a part of your plan and how we can recognize our own failures and strive for uh, to be a, a part of your greater story. We thank you for this time in Christ's name. 
Hey there, I'm Joseph. Um, you can call me Joe. Just kind of a, an average Joe. Um, I'm a carpenter in Nazareth. But I come from, uh, from a kingly line. My, some of my ancestors were, were part of that special chosen group of people, the family of David. King David, he, he's, he's part of my family. But I, I feel very disconnected from that, like that's some, some fairy tale part, it's some myth, it's some, it's some dream, because I live as, as a carpenter in a small town, in a simple town, in a, in a town, in a kingdom that is under an oppressive rule of a dictator, a man who seeks only to please himself. I feel very disconnected from that, from that fairy tale, and yet at the same time I know that it is not just a myth. It's not just something in a dream. It's, it's grounded in God's promises. It's, it's my heritage. It's my faith. It's what makes me, me, who I am. In the midst of this, uh, I feel like I'm just a pawn in somebody else's game. I'm not kingly. I'm a, I'm a small business owner. I work with my hands. I, I love to work with my hands to fashion, to shape, to mold, to call forth beauty, to create value and worth. And it's in those times when I'm working that I really feel close to my creator. My creator God who fashions and molds and shapes the world all around me. I, I see his echoes everywhere. And yet that part of of me, I, I still wonder, what is he called, calling me to do? What is my purpose in the world? God's called me to a new work now. I've been on this journey. See, I was, I was engaged to this, this beautiful young lady, Mary. This vision of, of purity and joy. I'm older than she is, and, and sometimes her view of the world seems naive. I want to protect her. I want to safeguard her. I believe it's what God has called me to do. He's entrusted me with a family because in these tensions, me being engaged, then all of a sudden, the word comes out that she was pregnant. I mean, we were looking forward to the wedding. We were planning it. It was going to be a whole week-long event with feasts. We were looking forward to the people that we were going to see, family members that would be traveling. We were looking to each special night and... And that wedding night, I was looking forward to that. Just a man who, who had a home and, and, a, and a simple life, and that's what I wanted. And then when that news came out, I mean, maybe you know what that feeling is in the pit of your stomach when you've been cheated, when you've been robbed of your future. I wrestled with that. That shame that begins to settle in. Though I swear, I did not touch her. I did not defile her purity. I esteemed her. I valued her. I don't know how this happens. Well, I didn't, I didn't want vengeance. Man's violence will never bring about the righteousness of God. I just simply wanted to walk away. I simply wanted to avoid. I wanted to escape. I wanted to cover up. I, I wanted to just put her away quietly, pretend that it never happened, and go back to molding and shaping beautiful things. 
but I couldn't stop that dream from playing in my mind that God had entrusted me a family. How does life change so quickly? How does one day be filled with hope and the next be sitting in the pit of despair? Mary tried to explain it, something about an angel, and I kind of tuned out, honestly. I, I wondered how these things could be true. I'd never seen an angel. But then I did. But then as I was, I was wrestling in my bed and tossing and turning about what to do and how to go about this, an angel appeared to me. I know it sounds crazy, but there I was in, in, in the twilight hours and, and just, he was there. He said, Mary, Mary. I didn't think it was a time for nursery rhymes. Quite contrary. How does your garden grow? I, I, that's my question. How does her garden grow? I want to know how this happened. And the angel replied, Mary, Mary, you are here for her. She is here for you. The garden is growing because the spirit of God himself has planted the seed. Cast off the shame, Joseph. I'll be honest, I wasn't sure how to do that. But now in this experience, I had to accept the truth. This messenger of good news that, that, the, that the son that Mary bore was going to be the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the King of the Jews. Somehow this ancient piece of my history, this line of David that I was a part of, now had potential, now had hope, now had opportunity. I could see the way if I dared step into obedience, if I dared follow my son would be the king of the universe. And I accepted this truth that my firstborn would not be of my flesh, but my firstborn would be his firstborn. That my firstborn, the gift that I was given, would be able to be the adoptive father of the very son of God. That angel, that night, brought me such power, such purpose, such focus, such hope. It's like the whole story of my people was now wrapped up in my own life. I could hear it echoing in my ears. Destiny was calling. Destiny, Mashiach. Experience trumps feelings. God will have to make a way. <clears throat> I am Herod. You may know me as king of the Jews, but actually I'm king of all Judea. I think uh, history a lot of times has given me a, a bad rap. That uh, it's been said of me that I was a madman who murdered my own family and murdered many Jewish priests. It's also been said that I was an evil genius of Jerusalem. It's also been said that I would uh, not stop at any crime in order to secure my power. 
And I would like to say today that you could, you could focus on those things. But I would like to tell you the story from my perspective. You see, I did lots of different things. I also had another title, Herod the Great. Why was I so great? Because I was a great builder. I did things for all of my people. I built amazing things. I, made, I built the largest religious structure ever known to mankind, 35 acres of the Jewish temple. You can still see part of it today. If you go to Jerusalem and you can see the walls and, and Jewish people still come to the Western Wall and, and wail and mourn by the loss of their temple. I also defied nature and built a city called Caesarea and built the greatest harbor of the ancient world. I also built many temples for, for other religions in all of Judea, which the priests just gave me a hard time about. But I have great hope in the 21st century as I come back from antiquity to tell you my side of the story because I have seen your play Wicked and I have watched your movie Maleficent. And perhaps there is hope for Herod the Great as I tell you my perspective of what you call the Christmas story because you just focus on the emphasize. You focus on, the, on me being a homicidal maniac that perhaps needed to be heavily medicated. But by the end of the day, perhaps you will see my perspective, my side of the story of what, what, what motivated me to do such acts. Yes, I am the king. And when I hear that somebody is threatening my kingdom, that I must act. I must act not only for myself, but I must act for all Judea. Because in my reign, we had one of the longest periods of peace Although it was totalitarian peace, but it was peace nonetheless in all of Judea. And I'd like to say that it's good to be the king. Been wrestling with what it means to be faithful. See, I didn't ask for any of this. I didn't ask for my life to be turned upside down. Uh, I'm not ambitious, I'm practical. I'm just a carpenter in Nazareth, a, a small town, just a, a few hundred people. And I pictured myself just staying there, enjoying its small nature, enjoying knowing each and every person, 
enjoying just being part of the community. And now I didn't ask for this. God has turned my life upside down. I'm wrestling with these questions. These questions that I ask myself, I'm a, I'm a small business owner. I've crafted and built my business from the ground up. And now what's going to happen? I have to walk away because of this oppressive government calling this census. That's a whole nother question. God, why do you allow us, your people, to be oppressed by this government? I don't understand. And why now, of all times, in the midst of the other upheavals of my life, my, my marriage plans not going the way that I wanted to, my, my wife being, being pregnant, and now we have to travel, the time of her, ex, her, her baby being born is, is going to come during this census, and I'm going to be away. She has to come with me. God, why now? I don't understand. All of these things, wondering, weighing, the fears, the worries, in the midst of God's word, in the midst of the experiences that we've had. I haven't wanted to bother Mary with these things. I mean, in so many ways, she's still a child. The way that she has carried herself through this has been with deep appreciation and thanksgiving. She feels so honored. In the midst of this, the things that she's had to bear, the talk of the people. Gossip is, is like a, unleashing a, a rabid dog. Talking about my bride. My love. Maybe I'm so angry because the things that they're saying, if I'm honest, the same very thoughts that entered my mind when I first heard the news. But now we walk. We've gone to Bethlehem, and I'll tell you that journey was brutal. I didn't expect to be traveling those 75 miles with a pregnant woman. So many stops to pee. <laughs> we walked, not knowing where we were going to end up. We knew it was Bethlehem, and, and, and we had some distant family there, but so many people were going to Bethlehem. Will we have a place to stay? We walked, not knowing where our son was going to be born. I was looking forward to a home birth, and what we ended up with was a homeless birth. The son of God, born in a stable? This is my story. This is my legacy. This is how I'm taking responsibility for, for the family that God has entrusted to me. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for, for any of this. And yet, we've been seeing God's provision Angels there, as, as my son was lying in the manger, were singing. The heavenly hosts, I'll tell you, you've never heard any chorus quite like it. Never before and never since has such amazing worship been proclaimed, and I was an eyewitness. Random people, shepherds even, coming around from afar, gathering and worshiping my son. Could a father be more proud? What an amazing gift. And I too knelt as I looked in his eyes, knowing that here, God was with us. I realize 
I am a pawn, but I know whose hands I'm in. Experience trumps knowledge. God will have to make a way. I am Herod the Great. I am the king of the Jews. I am the king of all Judea. But it wasn't always going to be that way. I wasn't born a prince. I was born an Arab. My mother was was in the royal family of Petra. My father was a high-ranking government official. And to be honest, my plight in life, if I didn't take control, if I didn't plot out, if I did not plan where I wanted to be, I too would just probably be a mid-level government worker. But my ambition was so much greater than that. I became very adept at maneuvering and, and in the game, the political game in Rome, so much so that when I was 25, I was appointed to be governor of Galilee. That was, would have been such an amazing kind of uh, uh, position for me to have my brother. He got governor of Jerusalem. How I hated that. I wanted to be king of all Judea. I wanted to be king of the Jews. And to be honest, I wanted to be the most powerful man the world had ever known. I was governing and, and, and I saw that there was a movement and a rebellion from the Jews and that there was going to be an upheaval. And I saw a young man who I thought they were going to make king and not me. So in my power, I made him the high priest of all the Jews. But this just made the priests angry at me. And in rebellion, it kept on raising and rising. And then in two years after all, I was governor that... They overthrew Jerusalem and they overthrew Galilee. I had to flee for my life back to Rome. And there I had a choice. I could die in obscurity or I should go back and take what is rightfully mine to become the king that I knew and dreamed I always would be. So I made alliances with Mark Antony, Octavian, Cleopatra, that I maneuvered for three years, I maneuvered, until Rome finally granted me an army to go back and take Judea. What a beautiful sight it was, me marching in front of those armies and then to send them into battle to squash those Jews who had rejected me after I'd done so much for them. 
After several years, Jerusalem finally fell, and Rome appointed me as king, king of Judea, king of the Jews. And what I decided to do was to use my gifts to politically angle, to bring stability, to bring glory to my name. So I started taxation that was oppressive in order to raise the money to build magnificent structures. I built the Jews the most glorious temple, and they complained. I even tried to do things that they would like. They complained that they didn't want workers in the Holy of Holies. So what I did, I trained 1,000 priests to be builders so they could go in and build the Holy of Holies. Were they happy? No. I also, they started snibbling about my beautiful face on the currency saying it was a graven image. So what did I do? In Jerusalem, I had coins minted without my mug on it. Were they happy? No. When the temple was finished, it was a beautiful thing. And because I was a king appointed by the Roman Empire, I put a golden eagle in front of the entrance. This made the Jews very upset. And for years, there was brewing of discontentment until one day that came up and they had a riot and they tore down that golden eagle and I was so embarrassed and enraged that I handed got all the, all the Jews who were uh, part of that protest, and I had them killed. You see, I was constantly under threat. My position and my kingship was constantly under threat. That is why I had my first wife banished. And you might think that's a terrible thing, but she got the best because my next three wives I actually had executed. That that I was constantly under besiege from, from my family members. But I was a good king and I was a good father. I looked out for my children. My first son, I put him in my will. Unfortunately, I executed him before I died, so I had to put my next son into the will. And then I heard rumor that he was going to overthrow me, so I had to have him executed. So I put my next two boys into my will. Yeah. And then they wanted everything, so I had to have them executed. But as you can see, I did not have a choice because they were threatening my power, and if they were not so greedy and conniving that I would not have had to put them to death. You see, as from my perspective, I was a good king. I was a great king. The monuments that I built, you can still go visit them today. The city in Caesarea that I built, you can go visit today. 
and that these people who tried to to, uh, take my power, the only way that I could secure my power was to make sure that nobody took what I had. So you Christians, when you read in your New Testament that, that I killed all the babies under two years old in Bethlehem. From my perspective, they weren't even family. That it's really their own fault proclaiming that there is this new king of the Jews. I'm the king of the Jews. And if I don't hesitate to kill my wives or my sons, I definitely am not going to hesitate to kill off a little a bunch of little Jewish babies. It's good to be the king. be honest, I've, I've been afraid from the beginning. The unknown can be terrifying. The known can be terrifying. This is all new to me. Uh, this whole husband thing. Fatherhood. Angels popping up everywhere. I, I don't really know what to do. It makes me very unsettled. In the midst of this, I'm responsible for this family. In the midst of this, I, I, have, to, I have to make decisions and, and, and protect my wife. I was amazed to see in the midst of my fear, to see my fearless wife. She did not wear that shame when those people talked. In the midst of my fear, I know, I, I know that God has a plan. I keep going back to these words. I weigh my fears against God's faithfulness. I know that he has purposes and plans for me and, and those things have to, have to meet these very real feelings that are part of me. I cannot deny these things and be healthy. I have to extinguish this fear with God's truth. The government has us traipsing all over the country. I don't really understand what to do, where God is in control in these situations, but I know that he is in control. An angel, another one, came to me. But this time, instead of those deep resonating pieces of my legacy and that hope that filled me with this good news of the coming king, instead, this time, it didn't feel like good news. It was bad news. The angel comes and says that, that Herod seeks to kill my son. And I will admit, as soon as I heard those words, immediately another dialogue began in my head. It was barely out of his mouth before I felt up, rise up inside of me. I will kill this man. I will not kill my son. How do I weigh these things? How do I be faithful? How do I be a man of God and wrestle with these deep feelings? What can I possibly do against a man who has government authority and all of the government's resources, even my very own money, that he would use against me to destroy my family, to destroy God's plan? These things all flash over me. They, they wash over me. That despair hits, 
And then the angel's words give me instruction. He's still speaking, take your family to Egypt. All of a sudden, the echoes from the distant past are all flooding into my memory. When God preserved his people, the children of Israel, by by sending them to Egypt under a man named Joseph. And here I, I, Joseph, to preserve the the precious Mashiach, the Messiah, God is going to send me to, to Egypt. I can only hope in the midst of this that just like the Exodus, that one day my family and I too will get to go home. Experience trumps fear. God will have to make a way. Ultimately, I think if you want to understand me and what I did throughout my career, throughout my life, I was just afraid. I was motivated out of fear. When I was king, I made the first secret service. I had 2,000 individuals who would infiltrate the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and different political arenas, that they would be in the temple courts to hear of any plots that would take my kingdom from me, my position, my kingship. Because I was afraid. I was afraid that my, my wife would try to put our children, our son, in power, so I had to get rid of her. And time and time again, whenever I saw somebody, even somebody that I loved dearly, who was close to me, going to steal my position, what I had worked so hard to achieve, I had to act because I was so afraid. It is why when the wise men came and they said they wanted to worship the king of the Jews, this newborn babe, I was afraid that there was yet another attack or run on my authority. It's why I taxed so heavily because I wanted to be able to buy the political rulers in Rome lavish gifts because I was afraid that they wouldn't like me. And ultimately, with my kidneys failing and I was on my deathbed, it is why I sent my soldiers out to round up the leaders of all the villages in Judea and all the beloved rabbis, and to put them in Jericho, and gave them orders when I died, that all of them would be put to the sword. Because I was afraid that no one would cry in Judea when I died. So when you judge me, see that I may be not the title of Herod the Great, King of the Jews, King of Judea. But I was a fearful man. 
I was afraid of everyone and everything, and I was alone in my world. That I was terrified, and I acted out in that fear. It's good to be the king. Good to be the king, huh? Hi, Joe. Hey. <laughs> no, I don't think it was good to be the king. Um, I think it was probably, you know, obviously Herod uh, had some serious uh, mental issues, I guess. Uh, he, uh, you know, but I, he acted in like paranoia. Uh, I think if you look, I mean, he was just, and as I was studying Herod's life this week, and I just kept on, like, he was a bizarre character because, like, he would do things like training a thousand priests because he wanted to have the Jews be, you know, to not be mad, and he wanted to be loved, and he wanted to be liked, but then on the other hand, he would kill them if he got wind of, of, of anything. He was a very bizarre character. Yeah. And these strong commonalities here. I mean, fear is a catalyst. It's a catalyst in all of our lives. Yeah. You know, the catalyst with Herod. It's a catalyst with Joseph. First words from the angel. Hey, buddy, don't be afraid. <laughs> you know, and that trend just continues. But um, just to see those similarities, but the difference that faith makes. No, absolutely, absolutely. And I was thinking about this, the, the, you know, Joseph, obviously very scary situation, right, for Joseph. If you think about Joseph the man, you know, he didn't have the benefit of, of hindsight, right? He's living this. And everything that he hoped for had been taken away from him, like you, you artfully, you know, portrayed. Like he, he liked to build things. He, he figured, you know, hey, I'm going to have a kid. I'm going to build a fence, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And then to find out this woman you love is pregnant and, and everything that goes along with that is very, very, you know, blew up his world. And I was thinking about especially the fear part, you know, knowing, you know, like Herod, you know, is going to like kill you and knows that's not just like a threat, you know. I mean, that's a promise, right, if there ever was one. and Lots of evidence to back that one. Yeah, lots of evidence. He, he was, um, yeah. Uh, but I was thinking about the Scripture of that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity. And, and just the difference between Joseph, how he responded to a very stressful situation versus how Herod uh, responded to fear, and Joseph, as best as a human can, responded in a very godly, obedient way, mm-hmm. where Herod, uh, uh, in, a, in a self-preservation way. And I think the truth is, when we act out in fear, in self-preservation, we're capable of some really heinous acts. Mm-hmm. And I think Obviously, Herod, you know, off the chart on, 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 on that aspect of it. Yeah. Well, the rest of the, the verses that we read kind of tell some more of the story because 
Joseph and his family obviously weren't just exiled to Egypt, but it was, a, it was a part of God's greater plan to call his son out of Egypt, even as he called his people out of Egypt. And so an angel um, comes to, to Joseph again while he's in Egypt and says, hey, it's safe. Herod's dead. <laughs> Done for. Come on back to Israel. You can go home. And as they're returning, then um, Joseph hears that Archelaus, Herod's son, is still alive. And again, just wrestling with that fear, praying and, and, and finding out, like, God, what is your will? What is your purposes in this? Oh, can I time out really quick? Yeah, Because I forgot. Archelaus actually uh, rescinded the order to kill all those people. Did I say that? No. I go, he, he, he gave the order to kill everybody, but after he died... Uh, his son who took his place rescinded and let everybody, all those people go. Yeah. So, sorry, that was a key element that I, uh, that I left out. Yeah. But Herod intended them to die, but right. his son... Okay, sorry, go ahead. No, so jo- I just, when you were saying that, right. I was like, oh, I... So again, Joseph's living this out, right? He doesn't yeah. know that because no. he's, he's in Egypt, you know? So as he's heading back, he's still wrestling no with Facebook, those... No Facebook, no Twitter. No Twitter, you know? Yeah. Hashtag Herod's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I'll be quiet. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, so they head back, and, and again, this dream comes um, to Joseph, and, and they kind of pull aside and go into Nazareth, which is Joseph's hometown. And now we see that all of the longing it was, was actually fruitful. All of the things that Joseph desired were actually got part of God's plan. They just weren't part of God's timing. And it took almost two years for him just to kind of move around and go to all of these different places to be able to, to pull into the homestead again and rebuild the business and start the life and, and be that adoptive father and, and raise the son of God, you know. Um, but faith made all of the difference. He, could, he had the choice of letting fear control him or following his experiences with God, life with God, God with us. And as the story continues, it, uh, probably Jesus is around five or six at that time. We're getting back to Nazareth-ish. And when they went back to the... Uh, Back to the temple, you remember when Jesus goes in the temple and they're all like, oh, you know, he's you know, so wise and everything. Um, that's the last time we ever have mention of Joseph in, in the Bible. And just this idea that Joseph played, you know, played his role and, mm-hmm. and, and guided this boy and, and, uh, uh, who would be the Messiah. Yeah. And it's incredible. Beautiful. So I'll pray. Thank you. Thank you.